Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. We were hoping to send this team out last year, and it just what we weren't able to pull it together. And so this, I think, is our first time back heading overseas. But generally, we send out a couple trips. Uh, we have the last few years been sending teams to different places. And so this is exciting for us to, to launch back out in this way. We've done some things here uh, in the States supporting other churches with some efforts they're doing. But this is fun to, to send this team and very much a spiritual endeavor. And so please be praying for this group. Uh, but we've, we've, let's wrap up this series of messages called Don't Miss This. We've been looking at Solomon's, uh, book that, that really captures these major insights and, and even some conclusions. And we've seen him highlight all sorts of issues that we face in life. These are not Solomon's deathbed wishes. Uh, he's not on his deathbed. Some books of the Bible, you have that sense that this might be the final thing we hear from him, but this is certainly his later in life, old, weary leader learnings. This is him summing it up and saying, here's what I've I've got to share. And so let's wrap this up. We're going to look at chapter 12 in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 9 through the end of the book. And so it's printed out in your listening guide as well. And it reads this, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, he's speaking in third person about himself. He calls himself the teacher. And that word teacher is just, it's the Hebrew word koheleth, and it just, it's actually translates to Ecclesiastes. So the book is titled after this, this uh, phrase, he's the preacher, he's the teacher. Uh, and so he's describing himself in addition to the teacher being a wise man, he's got this breadth of wisdom, he constantly taught the people knowledge. And so with all that he had learned, he felt this responsibility to pass it on to others. A lot of people are very wise. They gather a lot of insights in life, but they keep it to themselves. That was not the case for Solomon. He wanted to pass this on to others. And so Solomon's quest to know God's wisdom led him to do some things. Okay, So here's four things. You see these in the first set of verses there. And I just want to sort of briefly look at each one of these things that he did. His quest to know God's wisdom led him first to weigh it. He wanted to weigh out God's wisdom. Uh, to weigh something out is you, you, you're proving something about it. You're, you're giving careful consideration. It's sort of like a, a balanced scale. Uh, you're essentially wanting to make sure uh, this is what it looks to be. It's true. It's proven. You can count on it. And so you're, you're, you're being very careful. You're being very precise. And this is what Solomon did. With God's wisdom, he was trying to be accurate and precise with it. And that's what you do with the scale. You're you're looking for precise measurements. Some translations here read that he pondered. This just means he took the time to do it. Okay, He didn't rush past God's wisdom, but he he was careful about it because God God's wisdom was worth taking the time for. This is important for us to recognize this as well. How am I weighing out God's wisdom in relationship to everything else? Other objects, other ideas. What am I, what am I doing with God's wisdom? How does it weigh in, in my own life? How does it stack up against other things when I look at it? 
He also committed to thoroughly explore, explore God's wisdom. So it says he weighed it, he explored it. This just means you spy something out. You're, you're searching some, something out. You're trying to discover as much as you can about something. This is what Solomon did with God's wisdom. He was on a quest to explore. Uh, and so he's, he's sort of searching high and low. He's just trying to make sure he's turning over every rock to find everything he can about God's ways. How does life really work? This was a focused quest that Solomon was on. He, he gave a fair amount of his life to this. He asked God early on to, uh, to give him wisdom. When God uh, asked him, provide an opportunity for, for uh, Solomon to have anything, he was the new leader, and Solomon, uh, basically, God told Solomon, hey, you can have anything. What, what do you ask? What, do, what would you like me to give you? Solomon could have asked for money and power. He could have asked to, that God would just wipe out his enemies. And, but Solomon chose to, as the new king, to ask God for wisdom. And so God grants him wisdom. We read about that early on. God grants him wisdom, but also grants him the other things that he didn't ask for. And so Solomon was wildly wealthy and successful. He had all sorts of accomplishments. Uh, and there was the season when it was going really well because of all those things. But Solomon ventured off course and crossed all sorts of boundaries that we shouldn't cross. And we've been looking at in this book how just because Solomon did that doesn't mean we should take Solomon's full example. We can learn from people's examples and from their mistakes because many of the pursuits he ch- chased after, he, he just concluded, well, that was a waste of time. That wasn't worth it. That was meaningless. That was empty. But I want you to see just how he had this uh, focus on exploring, meaning he was not passive. He was active in this pursuit. He had to get his feet moving. And that's true for us. When we want to learn about God and his ways, we have to get our feet moving. We can't just think it's going to hit us. We can't download it quickly. Then he says this third term, he arranged. He he explores and then he arranged. Many proverbs. So he decided to put things in a proper order. He was systematically trying to categorize what he was finding. And he was writing them down in these memorable, wise sayings. The book of Proverbs, the book before Ecclesiastes, you can find that. It's, it's got 31 chapters. And probably one of the most practical books full of God's wisdom is the book of Proverbs. These little nuggets of, of wisdom that you can just take with you each day. And there's many of our months have 31 days. And the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. So sometimes... It's good to dive into a Proverbs study and take a chapter a day out of Proverbs just to sort of focus in on these nuggets of wisdom that that he had collected and passed on. Finally, Solomon's quest to know God's wisdom led him to share it. Okay, So he, he sought to weigh it, to explore it, to arrange it, but then he didn't want to just sit on it. He wanted to share it. And so it reads, the teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. Sometimes I hear people say the Bible is just really hard to understand. It's difficult to grasp. And, and, but Solomon, he was working really hard. Just look at how he, he, he's trying to figure out how to be accurate. He's trying to use the right phrases, the right words. Uh, he wants to share these timeless principles in a way that could be understood, remembered in any context, any setting. He's passing this on. And he reads, and he says this, verse 11, the sayings of the wise, are like cattle prods. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods. Uh, here's a picture of an ancient ox goat. These are, this is how you would prod cattle if you were a shepherd to get them 
to provoke animals, uh, you would poke them. Uh, you'd get them moving. If they're not wanting to move, if you're moving them to a different pasture, you've got to prod them along. And so this is what God's word can do for us is when we don't want to move, when we decide, I'm going to just be where I'm at. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's apathy. God's word can provoke us to the right kind of, of, of changes in our life, the movement that we need to be experiencing. It gets us moving in the right direction. He also says this, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. So God's word uh, actually secures us so that we don't wander off too far. So it provokes us like an ox goad, but also like a nail can be attached to a rope and secure an animal. You could drive that nail into the ground. It's going to keep the animals in the area where you want them. If you don't, if there's open country and you don't have them pinned in, you can drive a nail with a rope and you're going to make sure those are secured. And that's important. Psalm is saying that God's, you know, God has given us his wisdom and his insight to keep us from just wandering off on our own, doing our own thing. That's the role that shepherds can play, but that's certainly the role that God's word is used. It, it can guide us. It keeps us safe. Otherwise, here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to just sort of wander off. Uh, I've been told that the reason why you pen in sheep is because as soon as you put them somewhere, they, they run to the edges and they're trying to find a hole. Because they're just, they want to go. And so God's word, it anchors us so that we don't do this. Because when we wander off, oftentimes we don't realize we're in serious danger. We're, we're away from home or far from home. We're far from the nourishment of the truth if we wander off. We're far from others who might isolate ourselves. And so all of these things, Solomon's saying, is there for our good. And then verse 12, it says, but beyond these, meaning beyond these wise sayings, God's wisdom, my son, be warned. Beyond that, there is no end to the making of many books and much study wearies the body. This is college students' favorite verse right here. They tell their teachers, sorry, just much study wearies the body. Or you tell your parents who are paying the bill and you're like, these much study wearies the body. It's in the Bible. Solomon's saying, hey, there, there are, there is nuggets of wisdom, but then there's all sorts of other books that are out there. You can take, and this is true for all of us, the more you take in, the more you study on any number of subjects. Solomon says, hey, be, be warned. There's a caution around this because sort of some caution tape exists. Because there's no end to the amount of information you can find, and a lot of that leaves you unfulfilled. A lot of what you're going to find on the web, a lot of what you're going to find on the radio, through movies, just ideas and messages, you're going to take in all sorts of information. You have to decide what to filter. A lot of it's going to keep you empty, leave you unfulfilled. And so Solomon's just saying, hey, look, remember, all this human, man-made philosophy, it's out there, it's, but it's extremely limiting. And so... So here he is, he's searching high, searching low throughout all the earth, and he, it would seem that he would just end his book, Solomon would end his book with a final verse right where he started, because in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, right after he introduces himself, Solomon just says, the very first thing he says in chapter 1 is absolute futility. And he says it again, absolute futility. Everything is futile. Futility just means it's, it's empty, it's meaningless. It's like you're trying to grasp smoke or trying to chase the wind that you feel blowing but you can't get it 
It's it just it's a waste. And so Solomon makes this statement several times through the book. In fact, chapter 12, verse 8, he says, absolute futility. Everything is futile. So like the bookends almost of this book are these, there is this word, futility. Because this is Solomon's pursuit for, he's on a quest for the meaning of life. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And he keeps sort of throwing his hands up. It's a waste. It seems like it's a waste. However, he doesn't end the book that way, thankfully. It seems like a pretty depressing book, right? In a lot of ways. But he ends with a very instructive conclusion. And so here is his final conclusion. It's this. It's, it's, hey, take God so seriously that you actually obey him. That's his conclusion. That's the point of his book. This, 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 this is the point of life. Take God so seriously that you actually obey him. Look at verse 13. Here it is. His conclusion. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. This is for everyone. This is for all of us. Sum it all up. After searching everything under the sun, here's a purpose worth living for. Fear God and obey him. The fear of the Lord means you live your life not for yourself. It it, it means you live your life for him in all things. It's you fear him. You honor him. You revere him. You respect him. uh, You live for him. You believe he is who he says he is. You take him at his word. He's God. He's really with us. He's really working. He's with you at lunch. He's with you at home. He's with you at work. He's with you when you're with your your closest friends, your companion. He's working in all things. He's with, He's there in Guatemala. He's in other countries. And yet he's, he's also above all things. He's not bound by the limits that we have. He is over all things. He's in control of all things. That's who we're talking about, is God. And so that's what Psalm is saying. Fear God. And to fear him means like every day, Every moment, every dollar, every decision, every plan, it's all for him. Therefore, we, we take God so seriously that we actually obey him. If you're a parent, I know some of you are, this is the very best, this is the very best investment you could possibly make with your life is to fear God and to keep his commands. This is far better than any financial inheritance. Sure, that's an important thing. But more than finances, what your children need to see when they're adults is they need to have seen the example of someone who takes God seriously and lives for him. That's what that's what's going to imprint on their heart. That is that is something. And it's not too late if you think, you know, I spent a lot of time where that wasn't the case. But you know what you have today and you can have conversations about I haven't lived this way, but I'm moving forward differently from this point on. And that's a legacy that matters. You don't want to just give your child an inheritance financially if they don't have wisdom because we've looked at that in this book that money alone is not enough solomon says that 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 was empty that didn't satisfy money possessions pleasure toys advancement knowledge titles all these accomplishments these things in and of themselves apart from god are meaningless apart from god they're meaningless some of you know that you've been down those roads before and you've thought you know what i've I've experienced that as well. But this really matters. So verse 13, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God. Don't miss this. Don't miss it with your life. Fear God and keep his commands. For this 
Because this is for all humanity, everybody. Take it from the man Solomon who had it all and summed it all up with this core lesson for all of us. The most important issue in life is to come before the one true God in worship and obedience. This is, this is a crucial issue. So have you ever done that? Have you ever actually surrendered your life, bent the knee to God and yielded your whole life to him? Not just to slice your life, but the whole thing. God, I give you my whole life. I want to honor and respect you in the way that I live. Maybe you've stood at this decision point many times. You sort of stared over that, 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 that cliff of, of faith and God, I'm going to trust and walk in faith from this point forward. But you, you've been at that edge and you're like, you know, I, I feel a lot more comfortable on this side of the cliff. And that, that, that decision to begin a life of faith and walk with him, maybe you've just never done that. And I think it's tempting for us to delay and think, I'll get around to that because I've got more time. We often think, I've got more time or there's, there's, there's a long runway and I'm sure I've got some more runway before I need to step into a life of faith and actually begin to fear God and follow him. We think time. Time is on my side. You think, I'm in good health. However, I mean, this season for me, I've been going to a lot of funerals. And that's not all that unusual at my age and as a pastor. However, uh, this past week I attended another funeral. I supported a family who who lost their son age 37. Age 37. I was his youth pastor over 20 years ago. Uh, He left behind a four-year-old daughter and his wife. And no one expected his death. It was probably one of the saddest funerals I've attended in some ways. Uh, a lot of people that were there were still in shock. And, and you know, funerals, you just, you need uh, to process some things you're sitting there. Funerals, for, for many of us, are some of the most important things to attend because it, it's the one time we actually think about the, the, the brief time we have on earth. It causes us to reflect and, and wrestle through some things. And as I'm driving to this funeral... On the freeway, I, I was sort of bracing myself for a really sad funeral because I didn't know where this, where this, his name was Guy. I didn't know where Guy stood with the Lord. I knew how he lived when he was a teenager. He was a lot of fun, but he never really took God seriously in those years. And as, as I was driving there, I was just thinking about just, you know, the years and that I knew him and his family and what would I say to the parents and what would that be like and, you know, and just getting ready for this experience. And I sit down and I see, I got there just like right on time. So I see some people I knew and I sat down and there was some stories shared. And then uh, Randy Lanthrop, who's the pastor of, of Church in the Valley, where, where I was trained at, he was presiding over the funeral. He just, he shared really clearly up front that guy in his, in the last few years had, had begun to take God seriously and nail some things down with, with the Lord. And it brought, some relief for sure in the moment. And he started sharing some stories. And then one by one, a few people started sharing. His wife shared. Uh, Guy's father, Derek, got up and shared. And he held up Guy's Bible. And he said, this is one of Guy's ten Bibles. And I, it just, the more he shared, the more I was relieved on some levels. Um, and he shared about Guy's faith and, and and how he'd gotten to know the Lord. And he shared up this big he held up this big giant study Bible that the guy had been working through since Christmas time. And so it brought a different perspective. Um, so as I hugged his dad and cried with his parents, there was hope in my heart that we'd see him again. Here's a promise you find in scripture. First Thessalonians four, verse 13. God, through a man named Paul, a church leader, he writes this. 
We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, those who, who die, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So he, back up for uh, verse 13 for a second. The, the world grieves in a certain way. When we go to funerals, we're not really sure well, what we should think about the situation if we're not sure. We have no hope oftentimes because we don't know where the person stood with the Lord. And so the world grieves with no hope. But Paul says, we grieve as those who have hope because, verse 14 says this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. So we have a sure confidence and hope that this life is not all there is. That when we close our eyes here, we open them up in the presence of a good and just God who will do right by us. And for those that know him personally, for those that know the Father through the Son, Jesus, and have received Christ, um, this changes everything. And so for many of us, as soon as the funeral was going and more was shared, it brought comfort because he'd be in a personal relationship with Jesus. But we're going to stand before the Lord, each one of us. The very last verse, Solomon, he ends in that way. So the final conclusion, fear God, keep his commands. But then verse 14 is the final verse in the book. It says this, here's why you fear God and keep his commands. It's because of this, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. We'll stand before him. He says, death is not the end. Judgment will occur after that. We'll all stand before God in judgment. We'll face him. And at the judgment before the Lord, we'll actually all stand guilty before a perfect and righteous judge. But Jesus is both judge and justifier. He went to the cross for you. Solomon didn't have the full knowledge of, of God's plan for redemption, but we God has given us uh, his full revelation, and he's made it known in the Bible that that his grace has been made, God's grace has been made available to whoever calls upon his name, repents, and turns to Christ. And so receiving Christ as, as Lord, as boss, as your Savior, is the breakthrough point into the fear of the Lord. That's how you fear God. As you, the breakthrough point is you begin a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. You take God seriously and you choose to follow. You choose to follow Christ. So that's Solomon's conclusion. Take God that seriously. You actually obey him. Uh, do you do that? Do you believe he's real? That's what it means to fear God. You believe he's real. Like deep down in the core of who you are, do you believe that he's really there and really involved? A lot of people believe that he's real up here, but that's as far as it goes. It doesn't really penetrate real life. For example, we respect some things that we think are true and real. For example, we respect the reality of, of fire. We know, don't stand too close to fire because I'm going to get burned. I might get burned. We know that there's a certain maximum temperature. Some people like to play with fire. It's a bad idea. But they're playing with this limit because there is a maximum temperature that we can no longer tolerate. And so what do we do? We respect fire. We recognize this can end my life. That's a healthy fear. Of fire. We also respect and have a healthy fear of gravity. I hope you do. Because there's something called the law of gravity. And doesn't bend. Now this guy is, he is leaning over and staring over the diving board of Half Dome in Yosemite. You've seen Half Dome, but there's this little tiny 
nub, like a nose or a diving board that you can get out on and you can, and I've been on this diving board, but I didn't, I didn't do this crazy stunt right here. <laughs> and I think if you fall from the diving board, there's another ledge that you might be able to land on, but why would you do that? I mean, <laughs> this is nuts. Gravity is a law. None of us would dare to think, I'm going to jump off this and, and I'll be the first to fly. I mean, nobody would think that. Because we believe that gravity is not only true, but it's real. Also, we have a healthy fear. We should have a healthy fear of, of drowning in the water. And so here's a picture of a huge surf break in Portugal. Hundred, up to 100-foot waves have been recorded here, and people surf this wave. They get towed in. But whether you're a scuba diver, a swimmer, or a surfer, there are limits. These big wave surfers, they hold their breath. They train to hold their breath for so long. Uh, the average person in the room here, if you get held underwater for five seconds, you're freaking out at the ocean. Ten seconds, it feels like, you know, that must have been the, the largest wave, and it was like a three-foot wave that wiped you out. Maybe four-foot wave, and, and you're held under for ten seconds, and you're like, must have been a minute. Someone's like, it was like ten seconds. But it feels like a long time. These guys, in order to train for these big waves, they, they can hold their breath for three, four, five minutes. But there's a limit. None of these surfers have gills. They have these devices. They pull the cord and it feels CO2 pumps like this vest full of air and they float to the surface. But they have to be prepared to, to, to withstand the pressure and all of those things. But surfers still drown testing this limit because of reality. The reality of drowning. You can only go so long without oxygen. Some of you are like, why would you do that? That makes no sense. We also respect some other things. We have a healthy fear of some animals. So here, what's the most common, the most dangerous animal in the world? The mosquito. Those darn mosquitoes. Kills 700,000 people annually. 100,000 deaths from venomous snakes. Snakes creep me out. African fly kills about 10,000 people annually. Hippopotamuses, 3,000. Wow. 500 from elephant deaths, and 200 from the Cape Buffalo. Who knew? But we just, we, most of us respect there's this healthy fear of limits, and we just tied all these things, so we just keep at a comfortable distance. But here's the point. Most people treat God like he is true, but he's not real. Most people treat God like he's true, but he's just not real. But with God, he's eternal, meaning he has existed from eternity past. He is all-powerful, he's all-present, he's all-knowing, and he's in complete control of all things. This is who he says he is. This is who the Bible reveals him to be. And we're tempted to relate to him like he just exists in church. God is real in the church, we think. But no, he's, he is real. He is both true and real all the time. And so let me suggest some action steps. First, wrestle personally with Solomon's final conclusion. If you've never done that, purpose and, and plan to spend some time this week. Wrestling for yourself through what we've covered, through where Solomon landed himself. Do this for yourself, though. Maybe it would require a long drive or a long walk. Through the years, it's fun hearing stories. I went on a long walk. I took a long drive. I, I just really needed to settle this issue. I finally did. So wherever that would look like for you to get away from distractions, 
So you can hash this out and have a heart-to-heart with God. I would encourage you this week to wrestle through this. Another response is this. Journey further into God's wisdom through the Bible for yourself. Journey further in. Solomon's imagery here is so powerful. The Word of God provokes us. It also protects us. But you have to get into it for yourself. This little weekly service that we do, if you think about your week and how many hours you have in a given week, this hour is just a tiny fraction of your life. And so take some more initiative beyond this to add the pattern of daily Bible reading. Add this food right here. This is food as another meal to your day. If we were to do this as a group, if we were to just decide, I'm going to take this, we're going to take this final conclusion seriously, take Solomon's conclusion to heart, I can't even imagine the impact that we could have in our community, in our city, in our area, in the churches that come out of here, in the missionaries that are sent out of here, in the church plants. I can't even imagine if we would be a group of people that would together take God seriously and keep his commands. No doubt there would be an amazing outpouring of love for God and love for other people that would cause people to come banging down the doors of our houses or to the church, just banging down our, hopefully it doesn't startle us when it happens, where they come into the church and they're just like, I want to know what's behind all this. I've encountered something through you people who take God seriously. Like, who does that? No one seems to do that. Wow, I've met some people who really do that, who keep his commands, who who they have a wisdom that is very different than what the world says, who have answers to, to, to the challenges that we face in life, who live differently, who love and care differently. And I want to know what that's all about. I hope more and more those will be stories that we hear. Here's some next steps, though, as we wrap up. First, reflect reflect on what would need to change if I were to see God as both true and real. For yourself, what, what would need to change? Will you do that? Will you have a hard heart this week with God on this one? You know, every, every one of us can turn the dial up in this area of uh, our fear of the Lord and our keeping his commands. And so what would that look like? Second, read a proverb a day. Maybe you take like an August challenge. August's coming up. Maybe be thinking through, maybe I should do an August Proverbs challenge. There's 31 days in, in the month of August, and there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Call a friend and say, hey, let's, let's read this together. Let's share our insights. Let's share what God said in his word and share how that applies to our lives. Let's maybe get together once, pray for each other. Maybe you've never done that, but jumping, jump-starting Bible reading, book of Proverbs, great way to do that. Also, last thing is to commit to follow Christ as Lord today. If Again, if you put that off, why not today? Why not choose today to trust Christ with your life? Uh, we would love to help you with that. On, on Church Center, our app, or on that connection card, both places, there's a way for you to respond to let us know you'd like to learn more about that. Or if you're just like, i got to talk to someone today, come to our Next Steps area and just say, I'm ready to become a Christian. How do I do that? And we'd love to share with you more on uh, and just spend some time talking to you about that briefly. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word and how much we can uh, be instructed and be helped and be prompted in just the right ways through it. Thank you, Lord, for each person here and the, the ways that you're working in our lives and the ways you're challenging us to trust you. Lord, many of us, we're on this quest, just like Solomon, and we're weighing things out. 
We, we see what you offer, we hear what you offer, and we're weighing the scales right now in our hearts. And the world offers some things that seem so promising and seem so sure and certain. God, help us just to believe you, take you at your word, take Solomon's conclusion that a lot of the things we chase after in this life are empty apart from you. And so, Father, help us to be people who take you seriously, fear you, have a healthy fear of you, and then obey your commands. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would wrestle further through some of the concepts we've looked at in this series, um, some of the limits we face, some of the pursuits we go after, and that we just maybe review some of the things that you are speaking to us through this time in your word, um, because we want to uh, live differently. We want to be changed people. And so we thank you for how uh, your word gets the heart of our lives in these matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.